The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. So as I've watched that bumper over the last few weeks, I've been trying to figure out what it is that music reminds me of. And today it hit me. I feel like I'm on Downton Abbey when I'm watching when I'm watching that, that bumper. So that's what it is. Um, so if we haven't met, um, my name is John and I'm one of the pastors here. And I love Joe's story this morning talking about Papa because I have a very, when he said that, we talked about this um, last week. I have a very similar experience. Sometimes my daughter and our, our youngest grandson watch the video that we do throughout the week um, on Facebook Live. And when I do that video, she watches with our grandson, Damien, and he can't figure out why I'm not waving at him on the video. So um, Katie and Damien, if you're watching today, there's your, there's your wave. Um, I'm really thankful that you guys are here today. Uh, this, uh, this is a series that I have been excited about for a while, um, and particularly uh, this message. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it to Psalm 19. We're going to be looking at a few verses um, from that uh, text today, but, but here's something that I need you to know for, for today's message. Um, I, I need you to hang in there with me today, all right? I need you to hang in. I need you to lean into what we're going to talk about because what we're talking about today is, is setting, is laying the foundation for what our next 11 weeks are going to look like here at Westway Christian Church. And if you were to look at if you were to look at the foundation of a building or the foundation of a house um, before the house is built, you know that a found, there's really nothing to a foundation. It's just a it's just a concrete slab. So it's very it's not very interesting. And what a setup for a sermon, right? <laughs> the foundation on a building is the most most important part. If the foundation is faulty, if the foundation is cracked, if the foundation has weeds uh, growing up through it, whatever you build on top of it is not going to stand. Eventually, that building is going to collapse. So today, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the foundation of the Bible. Um, every year since uh, 2014, an organization called Ligonier Ministries uh, partners with Lifeway Research to survey um, a number to survey Americans on all sorts of things, specifically theological and ethical beliefs. And it's a survey of statements. There are 31 of them. If you're in your if you're in your YouVersion app, actually, if you scroll all the way down. Um, to today's YouVersion event, you'll find that survey. And it's a survey that's been geared towards Westway Christian Church. So sometime later this week, I would encourage you to respond and take time uh, with that survey. But one of the statements on this survey reads this. The Bible, like all ancient writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is literally not true. Let me read that again. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Forty-eight percent of professing Christians agree with that statement. That the Bible is like every other ancient book, containing helpful accounts of ancient myths, but it's not literally true. See, this survey 
doesn't reveal what's going on in people's hearts, right? It's not a judgment of their heart, but we can look at what people claim to believe based on the answers to this survey. And what we claim to believe sheds light on our theological beliefs. And it sheds light on what's happening on the state of our souls. I told you I needed you to hang in there with me today. And overall, this this survey reveals that the church, capital C, is in deep, deep trouble. It reveals a church, capital C, that is largely ignorant of core Christian teachings. And when we are ignorant of core Christian teaching, we're ignorant of who God is. We're ignorant of the reality of who God is and the way that he sent his son Jesus to come and save us for our sins. And what we wanna do is accurately portray the reality of who God is. So if we don't understand what we believe or why we believe it, we're not going to be able to do that very well. We are not going to be able to communicate what the gospel is all about. So it matters what you believe. All of that to say it matters what we believe. So today we're going to talk about foundations. The Hebrew, the author of Hebrews writes this, in these final days, God has spoken to us through his son. That's Jesus. We talked about that several years ago when we went through the book of Hebrews. God has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. That's how God speaks to us now. And in Matthew 4, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what Jesus is telling us how, how we ought to live. And we have, we have this incredible book that we call the Bible. This amazingly detailed book, it's written by dozens of authors who were inspired by God over centuries to reveal to us, as Francis Schaeffer would describe him, the God who is there. This book is meant to reveal to us who God is. But the question that we ought to ask ourselves is a reasonable, realistic question is, is is it true? Like, it's great that that this book has lots of things to say to us. But we ought to ask the question, is it, is it true? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever woken up, anyone else ever woken up at 2.30 in the morning and had one of those thoughts roll across your brain? Oh, I wonder if the Bible's true. Anybody else? Just me? Right, that's a, that's a legitimate question. How can we know that this is true? Because the things that this tells us that we ought to believe or disbelieve really impact our lives. So how can we know the Bible's true? How how was it put together? Who put this book together? Can we trust it? Again, these are realistic questions. So if you've asked that question, I wanna tell you that's, that's good. It's good for you to ask those questions. And today as we, as we, as we lay this foundation, we're gonna talk about the Bible being trustworthy. And, and that comes from Psalm 19, verses seven to 11. So let's read Psalm 19, seven to 11 today. Put that up on the screen for you. Psalm 19, seven to 11. For the choir director, this is, begin at verse seven. For the choir director, a Psalm of David, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. 
The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They're more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are warning to your servant a great reward for those who obey them. I wonder when you read, when you read the Bible, do you look at it that way? Do you understand the Bible in that way? Those first verse, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees are trustworthy, making wise the simple. See, we have an issue when only 48% of Christians believe that the Bible is not literally true. We have a significant problem with that as a church. And over the next few months, we're gonna survey all 66 books of the Bible. And that sounds crazy and it is crazy. But we're gonna, we're gonna get that done. And it's gonna be a survey, which means we're gonna look at it from a 60,000 foot view. There are probably going to be lots of things that you wish I would talk about when we survey the entire Bible. There are probably gonna be some things you wish I wouldn't talk about when we do that as well. But see, we have to understand what the Bible is, where it came from, how we got it, what the, what the story, what the narrative of the Bible is, because there's a lot of confusion out there about the purpose of Scripture. And as Christians, we, we're not immune to that. We're not separated from that as a reality. So as we talk through all of these books, as we, as we do this overview, we're gonna use three words we're gonna talk about the Bible being trustworthy. We're gonna talk about the Bible being timeless. And we're gonna talk about the Bible being timely over the next few months. So today, when we talk about the Bible as trustworthy, here's what I mean by that. I mean, we can have historical confidence in it. Does that make sense? Historically, we can have confidence in the Bible. So I'm gonna pray before we do this. So let's pray together. God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the people who have put it together over centuries under the inspiration of the spirit. We're thankful for the people who have faithfully copied and printed and ensured that it is accurate. We're thankful for this book because it tells us who you are. It tells us your desire for your people and it tells us of our need for you. So this morning as we just spend time talking about the Bible being historically accurate and we can have confidence in it, I just ask that you be with our hearts and minds during this time. And it's in your sense and we pray, amen. So, Periodically through this, you're gonna see slides up on the screen. So let's, let's talk about the very first thing. As we, as we ask the question, is the Bible trustworthy? Um, we wanna talk about two things. We wanna talk about, there's something called an autograph and there's something called a manuscript, okay? The autograph is the original document, right? So, 
So when Paul wrote his letter to the church at Corinth, he wrote one letter and we call that an autograph. Here's something that you need to know about the Bible. Um, There are no autographs in existence. Let the reality of that sink in to you for a moment. That's one of those, I'm waking up at 2.30 a.m. and I'm wondering if the Bible's true. And then your pastor comes out and tells you, there are no original autographs. There are no original copies of any document in the Bible. I don't know how you feel about that statement. Thankfully, there are manuscripts. A manuscript is a copy of those original documents. That's the difference between an autograph and a manuscript. And when we think about things like autograph and manuscripts, we're talking about quantity of manuscripts. How many do we have? How many copies of a certain book do we have? And here's the thing that I want you to know about manuscripts. The more manuscripts you have, the more authentic the document is. Does that make sense? The more manuscripts we have, the more copies we have, the more authentic the document. Why? Because we can compare, right? If I have two copies, I can compare this one to this one and see if they are the same. Ancient manuscripts were copied by hand. The printing press wasn't invented until 1439. I told you I needed you to be with me today. Every single document that we have prior to 1439 is a hand copy. Handwritten. And manuscripts can be everything from little pieces of paper to full-blown books. And these aren't books the way we think of them. In ancient times, they wrote on scrolls. So a question that we have to ask is, because we only have copies, how can we know if they're reliable? How can we have historical confidence in them? There's two ways that we can know if we should trust an ancient manuscript. And the first of those, again, is quantity. So let's talk about quantity of manuscripts for a moment. How many do we have? More equals better. So of a number of ancient documents, outside of the Old Testament, the most supported and attested ancient document is the Iliad written by Homer, okay? And there are 1,757 manuscripts, copies of Homer. Caesar's Gaelic Wars, there are 251 copies. And then Plato Tetralogies, there are 210 copies. So we have all of these copies of copies of copies of copies. How does the Bible compare would be a good question for us to ask. Well, of the New Testament Greek, there are 5,800 copies of manuscripts. And there are 17,974 of other languages. So I want you to compare for a second. No one doubts that Homer wrote the Iliad. No one doubts that. No one doubts Plato, Plato wrote tetralogies. No one doubts Caesar wrote the Gaelic Wars. So a question that we ought to ask is why do people doubt that the Bible was written by the people that they said it was written by? 
See, when there's so much more manuscript evidence that we have for the trustworthiness of the Bible, we have more things that we can compare to. And all of those Bible manuscripts that we have are written from multiple continents, copied by multiple people. So we can take something that was, say, copied in Africa and compare it to something that was written in Asia. And we can, we can compare them, right? We can see if they're trustworthy. This is how we can know that something is trustworthy. But it's not just, it's not just the quantity that matters. It's the age of manuscripts. How old are these documents that we have? Let's talk a little bit about that. So I just want to say, when, when I'm excited about this. I talked to Becky last week and kind of presented her with, with my vision for what I wanted these slides um, to look like. And like within 24 hours, she's sending me a text saying, hey, check out the slides I made. And I'm like, what? This is crazy. This describes exactly what I wanted to do. Okay, let's talk about age of manuscripts for a second. Let's throw that slide back up on the screen. Here's how this works. On one side, you have event, when the thing happens. Maybe the person writes the original document, right? And then you have the manuscript copies that we have. And the question is, how much time passed between when the letter was written and we have copies of? That matters, right? You following along? Over here is when the original was written, and now all we have are copies. So how can we know if these copies are accurate? The smaller the gap between the original and the copy, the more reliable the manuscript. So if I have an original and, ten, and, and the next copy I have is, is 10 years later, but then I have another copy that's one year later, which one is probably most reliable? The one year, right? So the gap really, really matters. So let's talk about manuscripts for a moment. Let's talk about Plato's tetralogies as a for instance here. Plato wrote his tetralogies and more than 1300 years later, we have a manuscript. So what that means is there is 1300 years between the time the original document was written and the manuscript that we have. How America has been a country for not even 300 years. Imagine if 1,400 years from now, a copy of the Constitution of the United States was found. Like, this is the kind of, this is the kind of timeline we're talking about. This is the kind of difference that we're talking about. So Plato wrote this, and there is absolutely zero evidence that he wrote it until 1,300 years later. That sounds like a pretty big gap. Caesar's Gaelic Wars, there are 950 years. So Caesar wrote Gaelic Wars. It was copied, 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 copied. But the earliest copy we have is 950 years after he wrote it. How can we trust whether or not Caesar wrote the Gaelic Wars? What's our proof of that? Homer's Iliad is 400 years. Do we doubt that Homer wrote Iliad? There's absolutely no proof except a 400-year-old document that says he did. 
How can we, how can we trust this? Well, the question that we need to ask then, well, what about the New Testament? What about the Greek New Testament? The difference is about 250 years, and actually there are a few older ones, and I'm gonna talk about that one in a second. So when we, when we look or when people talk about the age of the Bible and how, how we can trust it, the Bible, by a long shot, is, has a significantly smaller gap between when the original document was written and the manuscript copies that we have. The oldest copy of, of a New Testament document that we have contains parts of John 18. And these manuscripts date to the first century, some even say within 40 years of the event happening. So we have, we have, this, we have this question, we have these wonderings, how can we trust the Bible? Well, the gap for some New Testament writings, this particular one from John, is only 40 years of difference. And this sounds really, this sounds really strange to us because in our day and age, when something happens, what do we all do? What do we do? We document it, right? We hop on Facebook, we hop on Twitter, and we have this instant bit of knowledge, this instant bit of information that we share, but that's not how it worked in ancient times. They wrote things down. There's something interesting about the Bible um, compared to other documents. There are literally no copies or no manuscripts of anything written to or from Pontius Pilate from the Roman Empire. Nothing, there's no evidence, no proof. So when we look at something like the Bible and we look at evidence as this, as this foundation, is this something that we can trust? Well, what about mistakes? Right? Surely out of 24,000 manuscripts, out of 24,000 copies, there have to be errors in these manuscripts. Well, what kind of errors do we find? Mostly typos. If I were to say the word, just, if I were to just walk up to you and say the word, hey, would you spell your for me? How would you spell it? Y-O-U-R, Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't know what the context is for what I'm saying. So when we look at New Testament manuscripts, most of them are typos. And the next largest category were errors that someone made where they wrote something like, they like it was you or your, but it doesn't change the meaning. But then there are real differences in the Bible. As we compare manuscripts, there are a few real differences that that really matter, but we need some context for this for a minute. So let's look at Homer's Iliad. Out of 15,600 total lines, there are 400 errors. So when they compare, remember, I think it was 250 manuscripts. They compare 250 manuscripts out of 15,600 lines and there are 400 errors. Here's the Bible. Out of more than 24,000 manuscripts, New Testament, 
comparison, 20,000 lines, there are 40 errors. And here's what errors means. It means they're in doubt. They're not sure what they mean. If you were to look, and if you have your Bible, you can do this really quickly. Just look at the end of Mark's gospel for a minute. Look at Mark chapter 16, specifically verse eight. The woman fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Now, I don't know what your Bible says next, but mine has an asterisk. And then immediately under that, it says, the most ancient manuscripts of Mark conclude with verse 16, eight. Later manuscripts add one or both of the following endings. This would be an example of one of those 40 lines of errors in the Bible. And here's what that means. The earliest manuscripts, the earliest copies of Mark, and like I said a few minutes ago, earliest means more accurate. The earliest and more accurate manuscripts of Mark chapter 16 ended at verse eight. So then someone went in and added a little bit longer of an ending to Mark. And then someone else went in and added another longer ending there. And if you were to read through Mark chapter 16 and you were to read off like those two alternate endings, what you're gonna find is it doesn't change a single thing about the book. It doesn't change a single thing about the meaning. Jesus is still resurrected at the end of all three of those, at the end of all three of those meaning, uh, endings. Every single one of them. There's another one of those in John 8. If you just flip back quickly to John chapter 8. The NLT that I use at the end of verse 52 from chapter 7 says, the most ancient Greek manuscripts do not include John 7, 53 to 8, 11. So when we think about things that are, that are errors, when we think about things that are mistakes, it's stuff like this. It's manuscript evidence because we don't have the original copies. The Bible has nothing to hide. I would think if the Bible had something to hide, if Christians had something to hide, if the church had something to hide, we wouldn't put little things in there that say, you know what, the earlier manuscripts are different than this. But because the Bible is historically reliable, we have to, we have to deal with these things. We have to wrestle through them. So the total number of that 40, the total number of disputed lines in the New Testament is less than one half of 1% of the entire text. Less than one, so 99.5% of what we have in the New Testament is not in dispute because they have 24,000 copies to compare from different places, from different writers, from different geographical um, locations. We can compare them and bring them all together. We can have historical confidence in the Bible. Well, that's the New Testament. What do we do, what do, we do with the Old Testament? 
You probably heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the spring of 1947 by a, by a Bedouin boy named Muhammad the Wolf. I wish that was my name. I wish they would add the wolf after my name. This Bedouin boy named Muhammad the Wolf was out tending his goats and his sheep and one of them got away from him. So he, he climbed up this hill on the west coast of the Dead Sea and he saw a cave that he had never noticed before. And he did what all, this probably may not be a gender norming uh, conversation. He did what all males do. Women, maybe you did this too. But if I saw a cave, I'm gonna throw a rock into it because that's just what I do. He did what any person would do. He picks up a rock and he throws it into the cave and he hears this, he hears this smashing sound, the sound of something breaking. So he goes in and opens it up and he sees these scrolls are, are wrapped up in these um, clay containers. And over a period of time, you should read it. It reads like a, like a James Bond story of what happened next. Eventually, these, these documents um, come to be called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they were written by a group of Jews known as Essenes over an 800-year time frame. Between 408 BC, so 408 years before Christ, and 318 AD, 318 years after Christ. They were written over an 800-year period. And they were the most ancient Hebrew texts on the Old Testament ever found. And it would lend a lot of insight into Judaism and Christianity. So let's talk about quantity for a minute. The Dead Sea Scrolls contain over 100,000 fragments. And again, those could be little things, they could be big things, and everything in between. Every book of the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, Every single book of the Hebrew Bible, except for Nehemiah and Esther, were present. Every single one. In some, in some cases, multiple copies of books were found. There were 30 copies of the book of Deuteronomy. And in other cases, there was one book. There was one copy of Ezra. But the Isaiah scroll, that's the one that everyone talks the most about. Because it's complete. It's 24 feet long. And it's a complete text of the book of Isaiah. So let's go back. Let's remember, let's, let's look at quantity. 100,000 fragments, 100,000 pieces of manuscript evidence of the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's a huge amount. None of these other documents even compare. So let's talk about the age of these documents and why this matters. Remember, the age is the time between an event and the written record of the event. Something happens, I write down and then I copy. I have manuscripts. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, they have fragments of nearly every book of the Old Testament written from 150 BC to 70 AD. Prior to this, the earliest manuscript copy that they had of the entire Old Testament was 900 AD. So here's, here's what that means. So my, my copy's here, my manuscript is here, 
at 900 AD. There's nothing that exists prior to that until the Dead Sea Scrolls. Do you see why that would change people's confidence in the Old Testament? Because now we have something, we have evidence of something that's 900 or 1,000 years earlier. This part gets really kind of nerdy. This part, right? You're like, what? The whole thing's been nerdy. I get it. This is how I feel when people talk about Lord of the Rings. The Old Testament that we read today is translated from what's called the Masoretic Text. The Masoretes were a set of Jewish scholars who lived between AD 500 and 950. And they gave, they gave the, new, the Old Testament the form that we use it today. So when we read the Old Testament, we're wondering, how did this come together? How is this formulated? That happened between 500 and 950 AD, okay? The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947. And the oldest copy, I said this a minute ago, the oldest copy that we had was about 1,000 years ago. And the, old, and the Dead Sea Scrolls moved that back to 2,000 years ago. So when these Dead Sea Scrolls were found, because what we had was 950 years later, we could compare the two. Are you following on that? So here's something that was written 950 years ago. Here's something that's written now. Now we're gonna see what the comparison is, right? Now we're gonna know how poorly was the Bible copied between this time and this time. And you can just imagine in people's minds, right? People who are, who are anti-scripture. Oh, we're gonna prove that the Bible is a fraud for once and for all. No one's going to be able to hide this. All of the contradictions between the Old Testament and religious teachings of people like Muslims and Mormons. It's all gonna come to light now, finally. We're going to be able to prove our beliefs. What were the results? Take a look at the note on the screen. Even though the two copies of Isaiah dated in, discovered in Qumran Cave 1 near the Dead Sea were a thousand years earlier than the oldest dated manuscript previously known. They proved to be, listen, word for word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text. They literally had nothing to compare for 950 years. So you would think that there would be mistakes, right? What they found was 95% accuracy. And the 5% of variation consisted chiefly of obvious slips of the pen and variations in spelling. I wonder, I wonder if we understand what we have here. I wonder if we understand the foundation upon which our faith rests. I wonder if we grasp the reality of the, of the trustworthiness of the Bible. 
and what, what difference has that made in your life? So like I'm a, so this kind of stuff I nerd out on, obviously I made 23 slides. Well, Becky did. Do you know what you have? Do you trust it? Does it matter? Because we live, in a, we live in a time where people say it doesn't matter, where it's not trustworthy and it can't be proven and it's not historically reliable. And, and here's what you need to know as a Christian. Those things just aren't true. There's no factual basis to deny the historical reliability of the Old Testament or the New Testament. Because it's, it's just not true. Again, no one doubts that Homer wrote Iliad, but there's no proof of it. Because the earliest manuscript we have is like 450 years afterwards. Can you imagine if 175 years from now, someone just, like imagine we don't have any copies of the Constitution of the United States. And someone just, pops up and says, hey, I found a copy. Here's a copy of this document that's 450 years old. We should build our entire government around it. Would you do it? You'd be crazy to. There's, there's, there's no context. And we don't have that in the Bible. See, the Bible is a trustworthy foundation for us. But not just because it's historically accurate, the Bible's trustworthy because of what it contains, because of the truth that it contains, because of the reality that it contains. The Bible is trustworthy because the author is, rea- is trustworthy. The Bible is trustworthy because it's timeless and timely. And that's what we're gonna talk about next week. What all of this has to do with us and why we should care. Because that's a question that each one of us as Christians ought to be asking. Why should I care what the Bible has to say? This is the question that our culture asks. Why does it matter? Why would we trust a 2,000-year-old document? Why is that worth putting our life into? I want you to ask that question this week. Is it making a difference? Do I live like this is true? Because historically it's reliable or historically it is true. And then I'm gonna repeat Jesus's words back to you. He said that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word from God. And if we believe that that's what this is, a question that we must also wrestle with is what are you eating? What are you placing your hope and your trust in? And we don't do that for the Bible's sake. We do it because it points us to God, because it points us to the reality of who Jesus is. If you wanna go back, like if you missed something in this, we placed this, if you go to the YouVersion app today, you'll find all of these slides in the YouVersion app today. And like, maybe you felt overwhelmed like this was just like a scratch of the surface of the hole that I was in this week looking through research. I would encourage you, if, if, if you are into history, 
Don't watch the History Channel to see what it tells you about Jesus. Read this because it's trustworthy. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you gave us minds with which to love you. I'm thankful that you give us the opportunity to dig deep into your word. I'm thankful that we have a book that is historically reliable, that's trustworthy. Again, I'm thankful for people who have copied your word for centuries to ensure that what we have is an accurate portrayal of who you are. We believe that the, that the words of life are found in this book. And we owe, we owe people that, if we're lucky, we'll meet them in heaven. And I pray that we will, we will have the presence of mind to thank them for their faithfulness. God, I, I pray that, that we will ponder this foundation. That we will recognize that the things we, we build upon our foundation will rise or fall based on the strength of that foundation. And what we can know today is that your word is a reliable foundation. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.